so sense the Lord here uh, today. I do. How about you? I do. You know, to get together and just start worshiping, no telling what can happen. Uh, a number of years ago, some of you will remember this. There was a, uh, a presidential race, and um, one of the contenders had a VP candidate who went into the normal debate with another VP candidate for the other side. And this one vice presidential candidate stood up and they were supposed to give opening remarks before the debate began. And he asked two questions when he stood up. Who am I and why am I here? Some of you remember that. He was widely mocked for that because when you're a vice presidential candidate, you're supposed to know who you are and why you're there, right? But he ended up asking the two great questions of life that philosophers everywhere, all through history have tried to answer. Who am I and why am I here? They call it an existential question. Who am I really? What's my identity and why am I here? On this planet, what's my reason? What's my purpose? Because everybody wants a reason, a, a meaning to life, a purpose. Take that away from people and they get desperate. They finally spiral into despair. And a lot of times they check out of life because they don't know who they are or why they're here. See, I believe in having a transcendent purpose. I believe God wants us to have a purpose. And if you know that if you want to know who you are, you'll find it in Jesus. You will. You'll find it in Jesus. And if you want to know why you're here, you'll find that in Jesus too. Now, I've been talking about the why advantage. And what I mean by that is why answers those two questions. The why of life. Why am I here? And who am I? Why, do I'm, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I here in this earth. And we call it the why advantage because we ought to all as believers have a clear understanding of who we are and why we're here. And so today I'm going to talk about the why advantage in warfare because I'm going to show you that when you know who you are in Christ and why you're on this earth in Christ, then you will have a key advantage in warfare. Anybody agree with me that we're at war? Amen. Spiritual war, spiritual war. So I'm going to go to the Old Testament. I'm going to use, uh, just read one of the most famous, best known stories, probably in the whole Bible, David and Goliath. And I'm going to read uh, just a part of that story. And then I'm going to take this physical picture and I'm going to apply it to a spiritual truth for us in the new covenant. So here we go. First seven, uh, Samuel 17, verse one. Here's when the, the battle between David and Goliath began. The Philistines drew up their troops for battle. And Saul and the Israelites came together and they spread out their troops in battle readiness for the Philistines. Philistines were on one hill, the Israelites on the opposing hill. There was a valley between them. Now watch this, verse four, a giant, nearly 10 feet tall. That's tall. If you're 10 feet tall, you're no good in America because you're going to be bumping your head on everything. But watch this. 10 feet tall 
stepped out from the Philistine army line into the open, Goliath from Gath. Now it describes what he looked like. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He was dressed in armor, 126 pounds of it. He wore shin guards. He carried a bronze sword. His spear was like a fence rail. The spear tip alone that he threw weighed over 15 pounds. Imagine that. A long spear, the spear tip is more than 15 pounds, and you got to hold it up steady and hurl that thing. That takes massive strength. His shield bearer walked ahead of him. Verse 8, Goliath stood there, and watch what he says now. He called out to the Israelite troops, Why bother using your whole army? Am I not Philistine enough for you? And you're all committed to Saul, aren't you? Well, go pick your best fighter and pit him against me. If he gets the upper hand and kills me, the Philistines will all become your slaves. Wow, these are high stakes. Watch this. But if I get the upper hand and I kill your guy, you'll all become our slaves. So we're talking about losing our freedom. Totally. I challenge the troops of Israel this day. Give me a man. Let us fight it out together. And look at poor Saul. Verse 11, when Saul and his troops heard the Philistines' challenge, they were terrified and lost all hope. Something's wrong with that picture. He's the the king of the armies of God. But they're all terrified, quivering in their tents, and nobody will go up against this giant. Father, thank you for showing us the advantage of knowing your why, your purpose, your reason, who you are and why you're here. In Jesus' name, open our eyes. Inspire us. Lord, put zeal in us. Put fresh fire in us to understand why we're on this planet in this time, in these last days. In Jesus' name, Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, perk up and listen. You're going to need this before you get home. (laughs) And I want to welcome all of our online viewers. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in. And I pray the same spirit that is here uh, visits you in your house. And that if you can eventually get back into God's house or come visit us, we'd love to have you. But meanwhile, I'm so glad you're there. God bless you. Now, I want to remind you of a verse that I've been quoting every week in this series on the why advantage. And it's uh, Ephesians 1 verse 11. Listen to this. This is so powerful. It's in Christ we find out who we are. Can you say that with me? It's in Christ. I find out my identity. Is our nation not experiencing an identity crisis? Well, there's a solution. It's in Christ we find out who we are and what we're living for. That's Ephesians 1.11, what we're living for, what we're here for, why we exist. You find out why you exist when you don't just look at life this way, but you get this perspective, the vertical perspective. You let God show you who he made you to be and what purpose he has for you on the earth. Now, in our text that we just read, uh, 
Israel is once again facing their old nemesis, the Philistines. This has been an age-long battle. They've never liked each other. They've always fought. And the Philistines have come up with a strategy. They sent Goliath out with a proposition. Let's don't make this army against army. Let's make this one-on-one. We'll give you our best, Goliath, and you give us your best, and the winner becomes the owner, and the loser becomes the slave. Really, really high stakes. So the Israelites hear this, and they're looking at a walking, talking, killing machine in Goliath. Oh man, this guy, you talk about intimidation. Matter of fact, as you know, his name means conspicuous. Yeah, he's kind of conspicuous. He's like nine to 11 feet tall. He's hard to miss. I would call him conspicuous, but that's what his name means. The Bible begins with telling us his height. Uh, In most of your Bibles, it's going to use cubits. But let me tell you what it comes out to in feet. He's over nine feet tall. Uh, Depending on how you measure a cubit, he can even be 11 feet tall. But let's just say he's nine. Nine feet tall. Michael Jordan is six foot six. Shaq is seven foot one. So Goliath had two to two and a half feet over both of those men. He towered among human beings. He is a genuine giant. He's huge. And on top of his imposing physique, uh, Goliath had all the best modern weaponry. A spear, carrying a spearhead, weighing 15 to 16 pounds. He's decked out in the best armor available, shin guards, coat of armor, weighing 126 pounds. Can you imagine walking around with 126 pounds coat of armor on you? That took massive, powerful legs, shoulders, back. This guy is really intimidating. He's the picture of, I don't think I want to fight you. From head to toe, he's the personification of bad. He is intimidation squared. David, on the other hand, you study about men. Uh, back in those days, the average man was 5'3 to 5'6 in Israel in those days. So let's give David the benefit of the doubt. He's 5'6. Let's give him 5'7. He's a teenager at this point, around 17 to 18. That's it. He wore no armor. And he had no weapon but a slingshot. (laughs) A slingshot. Here's this nine to ten foot tall giant with the best weaponry available, decked out in everything that could protect him from any kind of harm. He's a massive Arnold Schwarzenegger to the tenth power. (laughs) And and here's five foot six David, (laughs) no armor, and a slingshot. I was going through a sports store a while back and I saw slingshots for sale. The little boy in me rose up. I grabbed that slingshot. I said, I got to have it. Don't ask me why. I, I bought it. I went home with it. And then I got home and said, what am I going to do with this? So I got a couple of BBs and went out back and shot them into the ground. And that was it. But I've got that slingshot. 
Okay. But let's talk about that slingshot. A sling in ancient times was nothing like the slingshots we know. They were two long cords, leather generally, and there was either a leather or a cloth pouch. These cords were long. And here's the pouch. The slinger would take a a choice, larger stone, smooth, and put it in that pouch. And then he would take those two long cords and he would do this with them. Not this. This. And it gained momentum as he swung it. When he came time to let go of that stone and throw it, hurl it, he just let go of one of the cords. And the pouch opened up and off it went. Modern scholars reading history have deduced that one of these rocks from one of these slings could go 200 miles an hour. They were missiles. They could, they could travel 1,300 feet. They could outdo an archer. The, these were formidable weapons, and, the, and the, the expert slingers were amazing in their accuracy. They could bring blunt force trauma, shatter bones, damage organs, take your life, as we saw with Goliath. An expert slinger was, was somebody you didn't want to face, you didn't want to deal with. Because they were so good. The Benjamites, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, we're told in the Bible were expert slingers. And the Bible tells us in Judges 20, verse 16, every one of them could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. Saul should have known how to use a sling because he was a Benjamite. He should have been out there facing Goliath. But he didn't. He's hiding in his tent along with the rest of the army. David was from the tribe of Judah. He was not a Benjamite. And yet, he knew how to sling with incredible accuracy. And what he was able to do was put a rock right below and in between the brass helmet that Goliath wore. He could hit that hair. Now, I want us to get a picture here today of the stakes at play in this battle. Because this battle was more than just any battle. It wasn't just two armies against each other, two enemies. There was much more at stake. The Bible says Goliath's intent was to defy Israel. Now, here's where words matter, because defy comes from a Hebrew word meaning to, to blaspheme, to reproach, to upbraid. Uh, to, to defame or to degrade. Goliath wanted more than a win. He wanted to reproach and defame and degrade and blaspheme, not just the army of Israel, but the God of the army. He, 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 this is a spiritual battle. He, he's out, listen, he, he wants to steal away from them their testimony of God. He wants to ruin their standing in the world. He wants to humiliate them. He wants to do away with the belief in their God or their ability to communicate the one true God. He wanted to enslave those that God had called to be free. 
Now I want you to see the parallels between Old Testament and New. Because Goliath is a type of Satan in the Old Testament. He's a type of the devil. He's attacking God's people. He's not out to make something go bump in the night or give them a flat tire or make a chariot wheel fall off. No, no. Here's what he is. He's trying to ruin them, destroy them, take them out, wipe them out. Where they could no longer stand before the world and say, we believe in the one true God. Oh, really? And that's why you're defeated all the time? That's why the Philistines took you out? Where was that God? You see what I'm saying? He wanted to make them a nation of slaves. Subservient to him and the Philistines. The opposite of God's call on their life. You'll recall, it's important to remember, who Israel was. When God called Abraham, who was the first Jew, the first Semite, all the Jewish people came from Abraham. They all descended from Abraham. He's the first one. And when God called Abraham in Genesis 12, 3, he made him a promise. He said, Abraham, in you and all of your descendants, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. I have chosen you, Abraham, and I'm going to raise up the Jewish people because I have chosen them that all the families of the earth, and that means Gentiles, you and me, will be blessed. Now that blessing came from, ultimately, Christ, who came out of the tribe of Judah. But here's the deal, even before that, Israel had a calling. Israel had a calling. In the Old Testament, Israel was God's chosen people with a calling to make Him known in the earth. Just like us in the new. Jesus hadn't been born. There was no preaching Christ at that time. But their message was, there's only one true God and Him only shall you serve. All these pagan gods and idols, they're all fake. There is one true God. The God, the God of the Bible. The God of creation. Jehovah God. There's only one. And Him only shall you serve. That was their message. The prophet Ezekiel reiterated the same thing. He said, my holy name I will make known in the midst of my people Israel. And the nations shall know that I'm the Lord. Through who? Israel. To whom he made himself known. Okay? So God raised up Israel to be a voice for him in the entire world. They were, they, they were to be like a lighthouse. Uh, spreading the light of spiritual truth to all the surrounding nations. There's one real God. They were created and called by God to be salt and light to a lost and spiritually dead Gentile population. Do you see the parallels between them and us? They were the light in that day. We're the light of the world now. Do you see the parallel? When Solomon was dedicating the gorgeous, fantastic, fabulous, architectural wonder called Solomon's Temple. In 1 Kings 8.60, he prayed a prayer in dedicating it. Look at what he said. May people, watch this, all over the earth. Now look how he had a world vision. Do you catch it? He had a world vision. May people all over the earth know, know what? That the Lord is God and there is no other God at all. 
Okay? That was the message of the Hebrew people prior to Christ. So God raised them up for. So even though this conflict between David and Goliath was being played out on a physical plane, it was a deeply, profoundly spiritual battle. Because God's name, God's testimony, and the awareness of him through the Israeli people was under attack. Satan was using Goliath and the Philistines moving against the plan of God to make him known in the world. So, so fast-forwarding to the drama between David and Goliath, it's just not a nine-foot giant pitted against a five-foot-six teenager. No, 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 no. It was way more than that. And this is what made David react with such righteous anger. Because see, David, 17-year-old, had been in the field watching sheep, and his daddy Jesse said, hey, let me give you some sack lunches. Take them to your brothers on the battle line. They're fighting the Philistines. Go find out how they're doing and bring me back word. David wasn't even in the battle. He wasn't even in it. He just went to say, hey, bro, how you doing? How's the battle? So he comes on the scene, and he's, he, he's looking around. Where's my brothers, and what's going on here? And the giant comes forward and says what he said. I love David's reaction. <coughs> here he is, 17, on the scene, holding sack lunches, no weapons. <coughs> His brothers are somewhere out there. He hears this giant bellering, bloviating, threatening. And David asked the men standing near him, what did he say? <laughs> I'm quoting <coughs> chapter 17, verse 26. What did he say? Did I hear him right? Are you kidding me? Did he say what I think he said? Then he continues, who is this Goliath? Anyway, I love David. Why does he think he can? Now watch this. Here was his issue. Why does he think he can defy, blaspheme, degrade, undermine, mock the army, not just an army and stop there, the army of the living God. <clears throat> David was incensed with righteous anger that Israel's uh, uh, calling and their God were under attack by this giant. See, he, he, saw, he saw the bigger picture. This isn't just a battle. The whole history or future of, of my nation, my people, and God's calling on us to ultimately produce Messiah is at stake. He saw for what it was. Now there stands his older brother. Leave it to an older brother to step in and mess things up. Because David's doing great. Here comes his brother. Why'd you come here? Why'd you leave those few sheep with, with, uh, with in the desert? Or who'd you leave those few sheep within the desert. Now that's a dig. He's saying, little brother, who'd you leave your few little sheep with in the desert? You're a little shepherd boy. We're doing the big boy stuff. What are you doing here? Little bro. 
And then he judges him. I know why you came down here. You didn't want to do what you were told to do. You just wanted to come down here to watch the fight. That wasn't true. He was judging him. When you stand up for God, when you take God's cause up, expect people to come out of the woodwork, even those closest to you, to criticize you and judge you for what you are doing and for what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. But, but I love David's response. Here's my guy. Here's David's response. <clears throat> and it shows that he fully understood his why. Who am I? Why am I on the earth? Why do I exist? Why am I here? David said to his brother, what have I done now? Then he said, is there not a cause? Here's what he was saying. Bro, don't you understand what's at stake here? Don't you realize our nation's destiny is on the line? That this is about more than a garden variety conflict? Don't you see, brother, that this is bigger than us, greater than us, more important than us, not about us? It's about God, His cause, His reason, His Messiah, His work. Are you with me, church? See, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause today? Their cause was making God known in the earth as the one and only true God. Our cause is Jesus Christ died on a cross, bled and died for our sins, rose from the dead, is coming back again, and there's no other way to be saved but through Him. The gospel is our cause. Come on, everybody. The gospel is our cause. The kingdom of God is our cause. Say with me, is there not a cause? Now answer your own question. Y'all are doing good. Let's try one more time. Is there not a cause? You better believe there's a cause. We're not just in a battle in America uh, that is political. No, it's not political at all. The, The stakes are high. The stakes are high. Our freedom, the the ability to share Jesus, uh, the the way that this nation was dedicated to the Lord in the very beginning, all of that is under attack. Our, Our purpose, our destiny, our identity are under attack. Is there not a cause? Yes, there's a cause. And it's greater than me. It's more important than me. And, and, and so quickly, Saul hears about this kid that's saying these things. So Saul brings him before him. And here stands David, ruddy. The Bible says he was handsome, and he was, he was ruddy, um, um, and he was about 5'6". He was a poet. He was a musician. He was a, he was a warrior. He was a multi-gifted individual hiding in the shadows. Saul said, what's this I hear that you're saying? David said, your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this heathen Philistine will be like one of them. <clears throat> now, now that's a new song. They haven't been hearing that. They've been hearing the, the dude's terrible. Nobody can go against him. But here's David. No, 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 no. I got a spiritual resume. I got a history. I, I've had a lion attack me. I took him down. I had a bear attack me. I took him down. As God took down the lion and as God took down the bear, God will take down this giant. I've got a history with God. I know what God can do. I know what God can do. So some of you that are fighting battles that nobody knows about, 
Nobody was there when David took the bear down, when he took the lion down. But the angels of God and God himself watching, there was no one else when David did it. They were private victories because God knew one day he'll be in a public sphere. And, and, and so you learn, you learn warfare in the shadows. And when you come out of the shadows, you know how to take down a giant because you've got a bear and a lion in your history. David went on to say, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from this Philistine. His confidence came from knowing who he was, a servant of God, and why he was on earth to make God known to the nations. You catch it. These are driving David now. His, his why, his understanding of the bigger game. We see that as the battle drew near, I love this. David didn't wait for Goliath to come to him. The Bible says he hurried and ran toward the army <clears throat> to, to, to meet the Philistine. He ran towards the roar. He did not allow the enemy to intimidate him. He didn't allow the enemy to drive him into his bunker where he can hunker and hide from what's going on. God didn't call us to be in a Christian bubble between four walls on a Sunday morning. No, we ought to come here and get gassed up and energized up and encouraged up and faithed up and then go out and run towards the roar and confront the culture. So when nine foot tall Goliath approached and David approached him, the five foot six teenager, he said, Goliath said to him, I'm going to feed you to the birds of the air. You're toast today. David said, no, 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 you got it backward. He said, you come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, good for you. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied, blasphemed, reproached, and defamed. I'm coming to you in his name, and the whole world is going to know that there is a God in the earth. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, David gives us what was motivating him. As I read this, does it motivate me? Does it motivate you? Does it motivate Turning Point Church? Watch this. David said to Goliath, here's why I'm going to take you out. I will strike you and take your head from you that all the earth may know. He had a world vision. That there is a God in Israel. That all the world... He had a world vision. He knew why he was on the earth to make God known. Folks, you're on the earth to make God known. So am I. I'm on the earth to make God known. I'm not just fighting for Israel's army. No. I'm doing it on behalf of the God of Israel for his name, for his glory, for his honor, and to spread the knowledge of him. That's why I'm doing what I do. That's your why. Now watch this. Quickly, briefly, let me look at Israel's army. What a, what a sad spectacle. This is the army that had an incredible miracle history. They are the descendants of the people 
who walked across the Red Sea, who had the fire by night and the cloud by day, who were delivered by ten different miracles out of Egypt supernaturally. They, they had food provided every day for 40 years. For 40 years, their shoes did not wear out. I love some of those shoes. They crossed the Jordan. Water came out of a rock to give them something to drink. This is the people of miracle after miracle. They went into the promised land and took giant city after giant city after giant city in the name of the Lord. And here they are, hiding, quivering, shaking in their tents, afraid of one man. What happened to them? I'm going to tell you what happened. They forgot their why. They forgot their identity. Their purpose, who they were in God, what they were fighting for, why there even was an army, and why they were alive on the earth at this crucial time in Israel's history. They forgot all that. They forgot Him. And so what was the result? They fled in fear from Goliath, dreadfully afraid. See, when a nation or a person gets away from God and forgets the why, we end up confused, afraid, and defeated. Every time. Get away from God as a believer. Go ahead. Drift from the Word. Drift from time and prayer. Drift from Him. It won't be long before you're confused and you're afraid and you're defeated. And it happens to a nation. It's happened to our nation. I'm convinced of it. Look at America. What do you see? I don't see courage. I don't see victory. I don't see a sense of identity. We don't even know if we're male or female anymore. That's confusion. You shouldn't say that, Pastor Jeff. Why? They do. I'm just telling you what's out there. This is no news to anybody. When you don't even know if you're a male or a female, when a nation has plunged into a level of confusion like ours has, I promise you it's because we're in the ocean without a compass, without a sail, and without an anchor. Because we've lost our why. There is an advantage in warfare when you remember why. Not David. He was supremely confident and, and, and said to the nine-foot giant, the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you to me. Amen. We all know what happens next as we wind down. Reaching into his shepherd's bag. I can just imagine Goliath going, what's the kid doing? Let's get down. This won't take long. David just pulls out a stone. He, he got five of them out of the brook. Because we know later, Goliath had four brothers, just in case they showed up. He had one for each. Huh? Yeah. We would call it today a full clip. But anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry. <clears throat> um, so he puts one, one stone in, smooth stone, out of the brook. Two hundred miles an hour. Mm. <laughs> it says the stone sank in, and Goliath came crashing face first to the ground. 
And here's everybody that's watching with silver eyed dollar, I mean, silver dollar eyes. I mean, whoa! And right then, David stepped into the history books. But let me close with this. This story is about more than a young shepherd boy defeating a mighty giant with a slingshot. It's about the why advantage. His whole motive was serving the why. God's honor, his fame, the knowledge of him in the earth. And I'm one of his kids. It's about a king, Saul, a leader, that had lost his sense of who he was in God, and he never got it back, and why he was on the earth to lead God's chosen nation. That's what Samuel anointed the man to do. But he forgot it. He lost it. And when he lost it, he lost his victory. And it's about a lone teenager that had these things intact. And he had what it took to deliver a nation. He knew who he was. He knew why he was here. And he had kept his relationship with God on a daily basis, healthy and strong. Now, I believe this is why our nation is so adrift today. Because the church looks more like Saul's army than David. We haven't shined our light. Who are we called to be? Light of the world. But we haven't shined our light. Not really, not huge swaths of the church. Listen, listen. If there's a mist in the pulpit, there's a fog in the pews. A departing church precedes a departing nation. A church or or a nation is not led by politicians ultimately. A nation's direction comes from the godly in it. Yep. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. We haven't shined our light. We haven't seasoned our culture with kingdom salt. Instead, big swaths of the church world, entire denominations, have shaken hands with a pagan world And we have cared way more about what men think than God. You don't win the world by becoming like the world. You win the world by being different, by standing out. We've thrown the authority of God's word right out the window, and we've embraced worldly falsehoods and worldly morals. And as a result, there's nobody speaking into the culture the Word of God, except for the remnant church that hasn't given up. So in case you're wondering who we are, I'm going to close with who we are. Who's turning point? Why are we here? Who are you in God? And why are we here? Huh? Just to punch a time clock, do church Sunday, and say I did my religious duty? Why are we here? You're the world's light. I'm quoting Jesus. You are the world's light. A city on a hill, glowing in the night for all to see. Let your good deeds shine out.
so that everyone will see them and praise your heavenly Father. That's who you are. i got to read one more passage and we'll close. Peter wrote, You are the ones chosen by God. Chosen for the high calling of priestly work. Chosen to be a holy people. I want you to read the next part with me. God's instruments to do His work and speak out for Him. Keep going. To tell others of the night and day difference He made for you. From nothing to something. From rejected to accepted. Wow. I know what you're thinking. The last thing I feel like when I'm leaving for work on a Monday morning, barreling down 35, dealing with crazies on the road, is the light of the world. But you are. You are. That's your why. Got it? So so this week I'm in the ophthalmologist. And... um, I'm in the chair where they've got you captive. And he, it's just a simple eye check, no big deal, but he's, he's got me there. And he's talking to me, and all of a sudden, and believe me, he's a rough cut. Uh, he's, he'll, let's just put it this way, his language is salty. <laughs> and he knows what I do, and he kind of ribs me about it sometimes, and that's fine. But here I am, I'm in, I'm in his chair and his little helper is over here, a, gr- a girl, and he's here. He's looking at my eyes, and he said, you know, he said, I don't understand what's going on in our world. I said, what do you mean? He said, it's crazy. He said, I was raised in the Catholic Church. And he said, I was taught codes for living. Rules, simple rules of conduct. He said, there were, there was, so there was a yardstick. What you did, what you didn't do. What was right, what was wrong. What was good, what was bad. He said, he said, Jeff, it's gone. Well, I'm sitting here, you know, my eyes, and I'm, he's looking, and I'm going, the Bible says be instant in season and out of season, even when. You've got somebody staring at your eyeballs. That may be out of season, but talk. And so I did. I said, well, that's because we have forsaken God. And he went. He said, that's true. He said, I don't know if I'm a Christian or not. I have questions. But he said, I'd really like some answers. So before I know it, I'm talking to him about the Lord in the office. And this little gal here, she's amening me all of a sudden. She's amen to me. And, and, and I could tell she's a churchgoer. Because as soon as I started talking about the Lord, she's, oh yeah, amen, amen. And, and, and so, so before I, listen, time's going by. His time's valuable. He's not messing with my eyes. We're talking Christ. And, and, and now, uh, uh, when it was all over, I said, I want you to read something. I gave him a Bible assignment. And watch this. He says to her, write this down. So she's, you know, so this week, um, I'm going to take him a Bible. Don't tell him, 
but I'm going to take him a Bible and I'm going to sign it. I'm going to give it to him and say, here is where you're going to find your answers. So stand up with me, would you? So I realized I'm a light. Even in the ophthalmologist's office, I'm a light, right? Everywhere and you're coming and going, you're a light. When you walk into Albertsons, you're a light. When you're in Kroger, you're a light. When you're in your office, you're a light. That's our why. Can we lift our hands and say, thank you, Lord, that you've called me to be a light to the world, to reflect your light and communicate your light. Help me to run towards it, to be, to be lovingly confrontational, to not be afraid to share your truth. In Jesus' name. Now can I ask my prayers to come down? Would you prayers come down? How many of you needed this today? Amen? Amen, amen. Now I believe that some people need Jesus. And if you do need Jesus, you know you do, you can just come down in one of these prayers and say, I think I need Jesus. And they'll pray with you, a simple prayer. Whatever it is you need, they want to agree with you. And God will answer that prayer. Can I give you one encouragement before we go? The Jesus Revolution, the movie, comes out. Is it already out? Comes out Wednesday, I'm seeing it. Are we not? Or is that a week away? 24th, it's, it's out. If you want to know where I came from and what touched me and how I came into the things of God, go see a Jesus Revolution. It's powerful. Kelsey Grammer of Cheers fame, the actor in Cheers, plays Pastor Chuck Smith. And he was on Kelly and whoever is with her these days. It's kind of changed a lot. Anyway, he's on this secular show. The man broke down and cried. He said, this movie has changed me. And when my wife saw it, she said, Kelsey, this is the best thing you've ever done. The Jesus Revolution. Go see it. Support it. Amen? 27. 27. It's at a theater here. Father, thank you for your blessing on the people of God. I pray, Lord, guide them, lead them. And I thank you for your face shining on them. Thank you for us understanding our why and that the picture is always bigger than what we see with natural eyes. Help us to remember who we are and why we're here. In Jesus' name, amen.